MSW Media. Thanks to Thuma for supporting the Daily Beans. Create that feeling of checking your favorite boutique hotel, but at home with The Bed by Thuma. Go to thuma.co slash beans and use code beans to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of The Bed, plus free shipping in the continental United States. And thanks to Splendid Spoon for supporting the Daily Beans. Splendid Spoon sends delicious plant-based meals and snacks designed to fit into your busy schedule instead of taking time out of it. Go to splendidspoon.com slash daily beans for $50 off your first box when you subscribe. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, August 8th, 2022. Today, the Senate has passed the Inflation Reduction Act after an overnight voterama. Doug Mastriano threatens to renege on testifying to the 1-6 committee. The Secret Service has handed over the phone numbers of agents of interest to the committee. Republicans block a cap on insulin costs. The economy has added 528,000 jobs in July, bringing unemployment below 3.5% for the first time in 50 years. And Lindsey Graham tells the court that his phone call with Raffensperger actually helped him decide to certify Biden's electoral victory. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Dana's back. Hello. Dana's back. I missed you all terribly. And thank you for holding the fort down without me, as you've always done, Allison Gill. And I'm just super happy to be back in your ears and back on the beans. Yes. Uh, I'm, it's so lovely to see you, my friend. You guys can't see. I can see because we're on a Zoom thing right now. We're doing this. But I can see. So hello. Hello. Uh, it's it's wonderful to see your lovely face. And uh, I also today got to talk to Glenn Kirshner about the Department of Justice and some certain actions that have been going on recently in their investigation into the suits as opposed to the boots of the insurrection. And so uh, that conversation will happen a little bit later in the show. And then, of course, we'll have the good news with Dana and I and uh, or Dana and me. <laughs> Still a problem. All the grammar went to hell while I was gone. I can it see did. what happened. It did. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. So I, I'm very excited to have you back, and we're going to discuss the news. We have a lot of it to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, this is so cool. Welcome home, right? Because the Senate on Sunday passed Democrats' sweeping economic package designed to combat climate change, address health care costs, extend the Affordable Care Act, raise taxes on large corporations. And this marks a crucial achievement for Biden and his party as they look to maintain their hold on Congress in November at the midterms. The plan, called the Inflation Reduction Act, cleared the upper chamber, Senate, by a vote of 51 to 50 along party lines with Vice President Kamala Harris providing the tie-breaking vote. In the evenly divided Senate, Democrats used a fast-track legislative process known as budget reconciliation to pass the measure in the face of unanimous opposition from Republicans. All of them, every single one, doesn't, they just don't want you to have a better life. Quote, it's been a long, tough and winding road, but at last, at last, we have arrived. That is Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in remarks on the Senate floor as members prepared to vote for the final passage. And he was getting a little weepy, too. He said today, after more than a year of hard work, the Senate is making history. I'm confident the Inflation Reduction Act will endure as one of the defining legislative feats of the 21st century. The vote came after a marathon session that lasted throughout the night and into Sunday afternoon, with Democrats breaking into applause as members cast their final votes, a process we call Votorama. That's where Republicans offered a slew of amendments to fuck shit up and Democrats successfully swatted down over nearly 16 hours of debate about them. 
GOP senators did manage to block a provision that would have capped the price of insulin at $35 a month for those covered under private health care plans. Democrats needed 60 votes to waive reconciliation rules to keep that part of the bill because the parliamentarian decided it wasn't a budget reconciliation issue. But it failed 57 to 43, with seven Republicans joining Democrats in support of the measure. But it didn't pass. Now, House Democratic leaders announced last week the lower chamber, the House, will return from its month-long recess on Friday to take up the legislation, which is expected to pass. And Biden praised Senate Democrats for passing the plan and acknowledged it required many compromises. (laughs) He urged the House to swiftly approve the bill. Quote, today... Senate Democrats sided with American families over special interests, voting to lower the cost of prescription drugs, health insurance and everyday energy costs and reduce the deficit while making the wealthiest corporations finally pay their fair share. That's what Biden said in a statement. He said, I ran for president, promising to make the government work for working families again. And that's what this bill does, period. The package is the culmination of months of negotiation over Biden's domestic policy agenda, which at times appeared to be on life support, but was revived last month with the surprise announcement of an agreement between Schumer and Manchin. And I'm glad they kept it on the down low because it really pissed off the Republicans that they went ahead and agreed to the CHIPS Act and the PACT Act. Yep. (laughs) And then uh, come out and they're like, oh, by the way, we have this new surprise thing. And McConnell's like, God damn it. So anytime McConnell's angry, I'm very happy. So everybody loves this. uh, By the way, the corporate tax provision emerged as a point of contention, specifically with Senator Sinema and seven Democratic senators, Sinema, Ossoff, Warnock, Masto, Maggie Hassan, Mark Kelly and Jackie Rosen joined Republicans in backing an amendment to put forward an idea from John Thune, a Republican of South Dakota, that exempts some small businesses with private equity backing from the 15 percent minimum corporate tax rate. That amendment passed 57 to 43. Now, to boost clean energy, the measure includes tax credits for buying electric vehicles, manufacturing solar panels and wind turbines. It provides rebates for consumers who buy energy efficient appliances and provides $4 billion for drought relief. Schumer lauded the bill as the boldest climate package in U.S. history and called it a game changer and a turning point. And and any one of these bits of the legislation would have been an astounding feat in its own right. The climate portion extension of the ACA, the drug price negotiation for Medicare, like any of these provisions on their own standalone would have been a huge deal. And this is all together in the same package. And we got the 15 percent tax rate on corporations. So very, very exciting and uh, important day for Democrats. Absolutely. And more good news from this administration. The U.S. economy has now regained all the jobs lost during the pandemic. This was after a blowout July jobs report that showed a gain of 528,000 jobs. And that's according to the data released Friday by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, the massive monthly gain was more than double the 250,000 that the economists were expecting. And that's according to Renefitive. What to what? I don't even know what that is. Refinitive? Refinitive. Mm. And I'm going to ask for an edit on that because neither of us know what that word is, but that's according to Refinitive. Now, uh, the unemployment rate ticked down to 3.5%, 3.5% after holding at 3.6% for the last four months. Now, the July jobless rate matched the half century, half century low last seen in February 2020. Friday's unemployment snapshots, they marked the 19th consecutive month of job growth and in the highest monthly gain since the economy added 714,000 jobs in February, and July's job totals outpaced the average month gain of 388,000 jobs of the past four months. Now, the unemployment growth was widespread across the sectors, with healthcare and leisure and hospitality seeing some of the biggest gains. However, the unemployment in that key service sector 
That key service sector is still more than 1 million jobs below its pre-pandemic level. That's according to BLS. Now, the 528,000 jobs added, the lion's share of the gains were in private sector service providing areas, and that's including 122,000, 122,000 in education and health services, 96,000 in leisure and hospitality, and that's including 74,000 in restaurants and bars alone. And there's 89,000 in the professional and business services sector. Now, prior to Friday's report, which also included upward revisions totaling 28,000 jobs for May and June, the nation was about 524,000 jobs short of the employment level seen in February of 2020. So another thing for this administration, this 3.5% is an incredible number. We need to keep touting all of these things going into the midterms because there's always been, you know, dis, dis, that's not a word. There's always been people dissatisfied with what's happening. And then we end up losing or flipping the house to the other, you know, the other party. But if we can continue to tout these wins and they're, they're in people's in the front of their mind, hopefully we can maybe even hang on to the house. And I know people are afraid of that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, that's a, that's rounded up to three point. It's three point four six percent, and um, I am forty eight years old. During my entire lifetime, it's never been that low unemployment, and it's by the same using the same measuring stick as we have for the past, you know, fifty years or so. Absolutely, so, good news. All right, this is fun. The U.S. Secret Service has given the House January Sixth Committee a listing of agency issued cell phone numbers belonging to agents based in D.C. for the period the panel is investigating. That's according to sources. <laughs> the move is an unusual step amid heightened scrutiny of the agency's cooperation with the congressional panel investigating last year's insurrection and the role Trump played in it. The committee can now determine which agents call records they may want to review. And if they decide to do so, can either request them directly or conceivably issue subpoenas to their cell phone providers. That's according to an official familiar with the situation explained. At the same time, the inspector general responsible for the Secret Service has obtained a listing of personal personal cell phones as part of its own investigation connected to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And Pennsylvania GOP gubernatorial nominee Doug Mastriano is threatening to pull out of a scheduled interview with the January 6th Select Committee, teeing up a legal fight with the panel. In a letter sent to the House Committee on August 5th, Mastriano's lawyer, Tim Parlator, said the Republican would not testify unless Parlator could record the session himself. The select panel is sure to tell them to fuck off. Uh, select committee investigators have said Mastriano participated in efforts to recruit so-called alternate electors in Pennsylvania who would commit to voting for Trump in the Electoral College, even though Biden won the state. Mastriano was also in the crowd outside the Capitol on January 6th as the mob became increasingly violent and forced its way into the building. 538's polling average shows Mastriano's Democratic opponent, state attorney general and absolute wonderful person Josh Shapiro, is leading Mastriano in the race by about eight points. All right. And we're going down to Georgia, sort of, and <laughs> South Carolina. The senator, Mr. Lindsey Graham, has responded in the case to quash the Fulton County District Attorney subpoena for his testimony in her investigation into interference in the 2020 election. But there's some funny parts of this. In the filing from the weekend, Graham's attorney argues that Lindsay's phone call to Raffensperger had a legislative purpose. Oh, okay. And is therefore covered by the speech or debate clause. Is it though? They argue that the content of his phone calls were about Georgia's process related to verifying signatures on absentee ballots and that election law and absentee ballots are thoroughly legislative subjects. He then invokes the Electoral Count Act reform legislation currently being worked on 
by Graham himself and connects his cell phone calls to that effort. Now, additionally, they say that Graham asking about the absentee ballots plays a role in whether Graham would object to electoral votes during the January 6th certification, and therefore his call had a legislative purpose. Now, Graham even contends that his calls with Raffensperger helped him decide to certify Biden's victory. So what he's saying is, if I committed a crime, but it actually helped me understand the truth of this better, it's still not a crime. Okay. Mm -hmm. And... It was only black votes because it was in Fulton. It's fine. Let's move on with the story. The Fulton County District Attorney has argued that the speech and debate clause does not immunize senators from testifying at trials or grand jury proceedings involving third-party crimes. Graham argues that because this is a special grand jury and not a regular grand jury, it's not a criminal investigation, and he therefore shouldn't have to testify. Which is a really interesting argument, because isn't Graham a fucking lawyer? Like, he knows all of this. Is, does he have law experience? Mm, yeah, no. <laughs> now, the DA says that states are responsible for implementing elections, and that a U.S. congressperson can't have a legislative purpose for elections. So Lindsay... Lindsay's trying to have it both ways here. He and other Republicans want states to decide what votes count, but then argues that the federal system can make election laws so he shouldn't have to testify, which is just stunning hypocrisy, but not surprising at all coming from Lindsey Graham. So we're going to keep you posted as how the judge in this case rules. But I mean, the argument is such bullshit and he knows that he's really grasping at straws right now. He is, although I will say of all of the Republican lawyers who submit, you know, filings to federal courts, this one actually isn't incredibly stupid. Right. It's not the craziest <laughs> one, but it's no. still not valid. It's not like John Eastman, like, yeah, but my favorite color is pink. So I, you know, I shouldn't have to hand over my text messages. So, you know, it's it's at least he's kind of arguing you know, a speech or debate clause situation. We'll see how it turns out. The speech or debate clause is very broad in protecting Congress people and, and what they say and what they do. But if it is found by the federal courts that this was part of campaigning and not part of your legislative duties, much like the Department of Justice found in the Mo Brooks case when he was arguing that he was, you know, inciting a riot as part of his job as a, as a congressperson, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see how the how this shakes out in court. But I, I don't think he's going to win. But it is a slightly better argument than some other people have put forward as to why they shouldn't have to come forth and testify. We'll find out. And right after this break, I'm going to be talking with Glenn Kirshner about the Department of Justice and where they're going and where they've been and what might be coming and possible obstruction of justice and obstruction of Congress. Don't want to miss that chat. And then, of course, after that, Dana and I will read the good news. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, it's AG. And when the weather is warm, I can't help but get out and explore. And it's necessary to refresh and refuel after a long summer getaway. That sun can zap your energy. So whether you're planning a big summer trip or recovering from one, it's important to give your body the fuel it needs to be its best. I use Splendid Spoon. With Splendid Spoon, you can enjoy a clean, delicious, stress-free meal in just minutes. Splendid Spoon takes the work out of eating healthy by delivering ready-to-eat plant-based meals, smoothies, and juices right to your door. It's easy, it's delicious, and it's nutritious. Last night, I had their creamy mushroom and spinach noodles. They're so delicious. This is a creamy dish topped with spinach, peas, and vitamin D-packed shiitake mushrooms. So yummy and so easy to make. Just minutes. It took me minutes. Splendid Spoon fits into any schedule and there's a meal plan for everyone. Every single meal is 100% plant-based, gluten-free, and GMO-free. 
So you can enjoy delicious dishes like creamy mushroom and spinach noodles, one of my faves, coconut curry, and cauliflower tikka soup, guilt-free. And with over 50 choices and a constantly rotating menu, there's always new dishes to try. Stay well-fueled this summer with Splendid Spoon. Get started today and save on an entire week of ready-made plant-based meals. Just go to splendidspoon.com slash dailybeans for $50 off your first box when you subscribe. That's $50 off at splendidspoon.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy today to be joined by my friend, host of the, by the way, incredible host of the Justice Matters podcast on YouTube and the Justice Matters channel. Please welcome Glenn Kirshner. Hello, Glenn. Hey, well, thank you for that shout out, AG. Very nice. (laughs) Yeah, no, you and I have been talking for a really long time now, texting back and forth about the Department of Justice. And it started early on with they're going to do it, right? They have to, right? They, They can't not investigate this. And neither neither you or I had any illusions about whether or not there would certainly be indictments of the coup plotters, although we we both believe that those are absolutely necessary. Accountability is necessary in order to go forward and show that it is equal justice for all in this land and nobody's above the law and to prevent future coups from happening. But it, it was a long time coming before we started getting the leaks from witnesses that had been drug into the grand jury. And and we're starting to see that now, and we're starting to see it at a pretty fast clip with Cipollone and Philbin and others like Mark Short and Greg Jacob, who now will probably have to come back after they do their privilege fight in the courts. But talk to us a little bit about how we're now finally seeing, starting to see that movement and, and how you feel about it. Um, I'm feeling slightly better. You know, I've been talking in recent days and weeks about how we've got the boots and the suits, right? The boots are the you know, people who attacked the Capitol at Donald Trump's urging. And the suits are everybody above the boots, the planners, the plotters, the organizers, the funders, the insiders, and those who are covering it up. You know, you've got lots of insurrectionists being tried, convicted, many of them going to prison. I've been trying to sit in on some of their trials in D.C. federal district court. All the while, you've got the more privileged insurrectionists, the political insurrectionists, the the wealthy insurrectionists who are out golfing, holding rallies and attending dinner parties. So, you know, there's a deep inequity at play in our nation at this moment. It can be remedied. I maintain, as do you, it will be remedied once we get big old conspiracy indictments dropping on the heads of the suits, but it needs to happen soon. It should have happened already. None of that was what you asked me. Where are we in the Department (laughs) of Justice? You know, I I think what we learned, you know, we suspected that there was stuff going on behind the scenes for a very long time now, both at the Department of Justice and specifically in the federal grand jury. We learned recently that that is in fact the case because back in April, nobody knew that the Department of Justice subpoenaed and obtained Mark Meadows' cell phone records. And boy, they're going to be a treasure trove because you know what? Guys like Chad Wolf and Ken Cuccinelli and Chris Miller can delete their texts all they want. If any of them communicated with Mark Meadows, and I predict they all did, then at least there will be documentation of it. Maybe not substance, maybe just the fact that calls or texts connected, but that's a beautiful leaping off point for prosecutors when you're questioning those people in the grand jury. So DOJ has been doing a lot of work for a very long time about which we knew nothing. Now they're in the more overt phase because they're subpoenaing people to the grand jury, like Pence's uh, 
high, high officials, uh, Mark Short, Greg Jacob, and they're wearing these people out in the grand jury. That's what we used to call it when we put a witness in and we, we would question them for hours and hours and hours. We would wear them out. And now these people are running to the Washington Post, it appears, as they are allowed to do, because grand jury secrecy does not prohibit the witnesses from talking about what goes on in the grand jury. It just prohibits everybody else. Hmm. And they're talking to the Carol Lennox of the world, bless Carol Lennox, um, and saying, look, they are focusing on Donald Trump's conduct, his statements, his asks, his demands, his nonsense. Okay, so they're clearly investigating Donald Trump's conduct. Um, now, the other thing that we're seeing is uh, some of the transcripts that were generated by the January 6th Congressional Committee seem to be trickling over to the Department of Justice for use in the grand jury. Let me tell you how that ordinarily goes. When we want to put a witness in the grand jury, but we know that witness has testified somewhere else, it could be before Congress or a city council or an administrative hearing or a police board, it could be anywhere. We need to get that transcript. We need to digest it to see what's in there. And then we bring the witness in. And ordinarily, if we believe the witness was truthful in his or her private testimony, here's what we do. We say, Mr. Witness, Miss Witness, are you willing to adopt the testimony you gave before the January 6th committee on such and such a date as part of your sworn testimony before this grand jury today? Yes, I am. Are there any corrections or additions you feel need to be made to your private prior testimony? No, there is not. Okay, now it's follow-up time. And we will spend as much time developing additional information or clarifying information that it perhaps is not entirely clear from the earlier transcript. Because look, the J6 committee may have missed something. They may not have focused on something that federal prosecutors know to be important in their investigation. So this is, you know, there's nothing ordinary about this investigation, but this is actually a pretty ordinary process when you're getting transcripts of the witnesses that you're then going to put in the grand jury. Yeah, and, and given that back in April, the Department of Justice did have Meadows's phone records, whether they got them through a 2703 order or from Meadows himself, and that interesting DOJ filing in the Meadows case, with regards to his semi-quasi-cooperation with the January 6th committee and the DOJ saying there is no such thing as absolute immunity for former aides to former presidents. Do you think Meadows is cooperating here or at least not not cooperating, if that makes any sense? Because <laughs> we, we have a situation with Pete Navarro, for example, and he's he's not cooperating. He's the anti-cooperator with the Department of Justice. He has said, no, I'm not going to do a plea deal. No, I'm not going to take one count of contempt. No, I'm going to snub my nose at the subpoena you sent me for my communications with Donald Trump. No, no, no. But we haven't seen anything like that come out of the Meadows or Scavino camp, for that matter. And I think Meadows and any witness will have a harder time pushing back on a subpoena from a grand jury than they would pushing back on a subpoena from Congress. And I know that bothers me and you both because Congress should is a co-equal branch of government and should yeah. have the same sort of power behind their subpoenas, but that's just not the case. Yeah, so first of all, Peter Navarro, we can dispense with him in about 10 seconds. He's going to Green Bay sweep himself right into a big old indictment and not just 
for contempt of Congress. It's coming for, for old Pete. Um, with respect to Mark Meadows, if he's smart, he's cooperating, right? Because what did we see in the Rolling Stone article a few days ago coming out of the Trump camp? We are preparing Donald Trump's uh, defense because we kind of sort of think he's going to be indicted and we're going to put it on the fall guys. Well, mm. who is one of the marquee fall guys? Yes, Rudy and John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark. How about Mark Meadows, Treason Central, right? He is one of the marquee fall guys. So if Mark Meadows has a, 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 you know, a brain cell in that head of his, he's already cooperating. Um, now, Mark Meadows absolutely needs to land in prison for his crimes. But if he cooperates, he can do significantly less time rather than significantly more time. And as you say, A.G., the, the beauty of the, the grand jury and the powers of the grand jury, um, they can compel testimony in real time. They can um, challenge and resolve asserted privileges in real time. We do it all the time. I had witnesses go before the grand jury and assert all kinds of privileges. Often, it was just in their determination not to snitch, not to testify, to protect their criminal associate. And we would get attorney-client privilege, spousal privilege, doctor-patient privilege, Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. I personally never litigated an executive privilege claim, but frankly, it is all of the same flavor. And so if a Pat Cipollone, for example, goes into the grand jury and says, you know what, I don't want to answer that question because I think it conjures up notions of executive privilege. Well, Mr. Cipollone, let's head over to Chief Judge, Bar uh, Chief Judge Beryl Howell's courtroom. We're going to litigate the privilege in real time. And you don't have one for a number of reasons. Biden hasn't invoked it. Donald Trump doesn't enjoy it. There's a crime fraud exception and on and on. So then Chief uh, Judge Beryl Howell, Howell resolves the, the privilege claim, orders Pat Cipollone to go back into the grand jury and testify truthfully. And here's the thing. Maybe I'm reading him wrong, A.G., but we watched the public hearings when Pat Cipollone would be asked a question about Donald Trump. <laughs> what would he do? He'd turn and <laughs> look at his lawyer and the lawyer would be like, Ixnay on the ump tray. And he would turn back and he would be like, essentially, I can't answer that. And he seemed deflated. Maybe I'm misreading him, but it seemed like he almost wanted to talk about Donald Trump's crimes. He did it when he when he was asking him about why he wasn't invited into that January 4th meeting. And he looks over and, his, and he looks back at the camera and he looks over and then he's like, well, and he's like, oh, you know, uh, well, I think. I mean, I think it's obvious, he says, but, you know, I, I, I really probably shouldn't answer that question. And you're right. He wanted to testify. And once Beryl Howell orders him to, he's got all the legal mm -hmm. support and backing and cover he needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of these privilege claims are more like a, you know, like when we see a friendly subpoena, when Salesforce or somebody at the University of Chapman wants to hand over these things. But they're like, could you just please give us a subpoena? And then they have to go to court and fight these subpoenas. And then if they win, they're like, OK, cool. Now I'm free and clear. I feel good about handing this stuff over. And that's exactly how I feel about Cipollone and probably Philbin, too. Finally, before I let you go, when you and I used to cover the Mueller investigation, there were two 
parts to that investigation. There was the investigation into the Trump-Russia stuff. And then there was the investigation into the obstruction of the investigation into the Trump-Russia stuff. An entire whole separate giant investigation that yielded a second volume of report as big as the first volume of the report. And I can't help but think that there has to be, or there needs to be if there's not, a full-throated investigation into obstruction when it comes to not just obstructing justice, but obstructing Congress in their 1-6 committee hearings. And I think we've seen tiny baby hints of that. That subpoena, that Department of Justice subpoena I, I mentioned about Pete Navarro, where they're like, we need all of your communications with Donald Trump and his associates regarding your subpoena to Congress. And then we also saw them gather up Robert Costello's information. That's the lawyer for Steve Bannon and get his records and phone records, I think, through a 2703 order. And I can't help but wonder if they were investigating whether Donald Trump or Steve Bannon's lawyer were obstructing Congress, obstructing justice, but for Congress, right? Because there's a, it's a separate statute, but it is the same flavor. It's the same thing. And then, you know, of course, we've got the missing text messages, the chewing up of documents, the burning the documents in the fireplace by Mark Meadows, the flushing them down the toilet. We have all of this obstruction. And I, I, I feel like it would be almost as how, you know, early on, we thought it would be bananas if they didn't investigate Trump for the for the coup. It would be bananas if they weren't investigating obstruction of justice. And I was and I know that that's a, a topic that is near and dear to your heart. So tell me a little bit about what you are hoping to see from the Department of Justice with regards to the cover up. Yeah. Obstruction of justice and obstruction of Congress or of official proceedings or congressional hearings. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny because some people might have this sort of knee jerk reaction that, well, you know, because Merrick Garland didn't indict Mark Meadows or Dan Scavino for contempt of Congress, he has no regard for the integrity of congressional proceedings or the powers of a co-equal branch of government. I, I don't believe that for a minute. And we could talk for hours about why he might have, at, at this stage, declined to bring those contempt charges. But I actually think he cares deeply about the fact that Trump and company have obstructed both justice and Congress. And, you know, just look at, you know, look back to Donald Trump's statements on the White House lawn. And I'll paraphrase. I don't remember precisely when he said, I've instructed all executive branch officials not to comply with congressional subpoenas. That is, he didn't say I'm asserting executive privilege for this reason or that reason. He just announced, he admitted, he confessed that he would be obstructing congressional proceedings. So I hope and I actually believe Merrick Garland being an institutionalist is good for these purposes, not always good, because I don't like when he protects the president, you know, the former president in the E. Jean Carroll litigation. That that disgusts me and upsets me. That's not being a good... Or the second half of the bar memo from March yeah. 2019. We never got to see it. Yeah, those things, right. But maybe we didn't get to see it because now that here, here's the hyper-aggressive prosecutor that's going to come out in me. I could actually see a conspiracy, an overarching conspiracy dating back to the 2016 election because everything, pretty much everything Donald Trump did in his time as president and in, you know, since he's left office, with the exception of killing people courtesy of the way he handled the COVID pandemic. Those are different crimes. 
all of the other crimes, starting with the campaign finance of crimes with Michael Cohen, I think were designed to either unlawfully acquire the presidency or unlawfully retain the presidency. And if we had time and unlimited prosecutorial resources, you could bring an overarching 371 conspiracy, put all the crimes up under it. And guess what? No statute of limitations have expired because he's still trying to do it. So now that's just me. That's my prosecutorial dream. I was going to use an indelicate phrase, but I won't. My prosecutorial dream is that somebody actually holds him accountable for all of his crimes. But you know what? I'll I'll take some light treason, some obstructing official proceedings, maybe inciting an insurrection, perhaps seditious conspiracy. And I want to throw in a 111. Mm. I really want to throw in impeding or interfering with the duties of a government official, Mike Pence, because that's a gimme. That's a lay down winner. And there are more. So, you know, I, I think AGM feeling more optimistic these days than I was a couple of months back. And I'm hoping that things continue to trend toward justice. Yeah, as do I. And and we're still on that timeline track that you and I discussed many moons ago about, you know, how long after congressional hearings, et cetera, because you, you and I both know they can't come forward with indictments until they get those congressional transcripts in their hands, because if there are inconsistencies, then their witnesses could be impeached in court on the stand. We saw it in the Sussman trial. So, we, uh, you know, we definitely have to be a, a little bit careful of, of that. But there are you're, I'm with you. There's so much low hanging fruit here, particularly on the obstruction front. And, and I really am looking forward to to seeing those prosecutions and accountability come to fruition. And you and I have both said, if they don't, that will be the biggest dereliction of duty in the history of justice in the United States. If they don't prosecute Trump, we're done, because that will be giving, you know, a little mini-me aspiring dictator like DeSantis permission. Um, It'll give DOJ, DOJ stamp of approval for DeSantis to replicate everything Donald Trump just did. We can't survive another go round of that. I agree. All right, my friend, thank you so much. Everybody tune into Justice Matters. It's real simple to find it. When you Google it, it's the first 20 million things that pop up. You can't miss it. Uh, it's such an impressive show. And, and I, you know, again, you know, I, I really love the, the work that you're doing. And I look forward to, to having you back on soon when we can discuss uh, maybe some indictments. Thanks, AG. It's always great being with you. And please keep punching. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. I will. Thanks so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. Let me tell you about how I recently upgraded my bedroom to the next level. I bought The Bed by Thuma. It's handcrafted from eco-friendly, high-quality, upcycled wood, which looks great, and that upcycling is so important. The minimalist design featuring Japanese joinery really helps elevate the bedroom. It's super supportive for the mattress, it's breathable, and it's made to naturally minimize noise, and it creates space. I love it so much. Thuma practices an intentional, less-is-more design philosophy for the bedroom, with clean lines, subtle curves, and lifestyle-enhancing details that are so relaxing and comfortable. Thuma proves that simplicity is the truest form of sophistication. Made for how you live, the bed by Thuma is backed with a lifetime warranty. It ships right to your door in three easy-to-maneuver boxes, and it takes about five minutes or so to assemble with no tools required. You can easily build it yourself. Along with the bed, Thuma offers other bedroom essentials to elevate bedtime. The nightstand, the side table, and the tray are perfect complements to the bed. You can create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel suite, but at home with the bed by Thuma. And now go to thuma.co slash beans. 
to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of the bed plus free shipping in the continental U.S. Again, that's thuma.co slash beans. T-H-U-M-A dot C-O slash beans for a $25 credit. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you've been tired of listening to me read the good news by myself for the last two weeks and you want to submit something so that Dana can read it too, please <laughs> feel free to do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And uh, I just got a message here um, that I, sh- I want to tell you about really quickly that we're going to cover in a little more depth tomorrow on the show, Dana. But basically what's happening here is the Michigan attorney general is calling for a special prosecutor in a case involving her Trump-backed opponent. This is Dana Nessel's office, and she is requesting a special prosecutor be named to investigate her Trump-endorsed opponent, citing evidence tying him to a potentially criminal scheme to seize and tamper with voting machines. And that's according to documents that just dropped and that were reviewed by Politico and Reuters. So that I'm going to go over in a little more detail tomorrow, but I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention before we uh, kick off the good news, which I will do right now. Although I do want to just remind everybody that August 22nd, myself, Steve Pearson from How We Win, the How We Win podcast, and Midas Touch and Frangela are all going to be appearing at Largo in Los Angeles for a fundraising event for the How We Win Fund. And our special guest is Kathy Griffin. So you don't want to miss that. You can get tickets for the show at HowWeWinLive.com. And if anyone's listening and they're like, how come Dana Goldberg, the co-host of The Daily Beans, is not on this gig? It's not because I wasn't asked. I have another work event that I have to go to overseas and I'm gutted to be missing this, but hopefully I'll be the next one. So go to the show, support everybody. I'll be there in spirit. AG, take it away. All right. From Alex, pronouns she and her. And I like the way Alex spells her name. A-L-Y-X. Me too. Good news. I've just accepted a deputy director position for the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. Hell yes. I've been waiting for an opportunity like this for a long time. I'm finally feeling validated in my intelligence and my passion. While I'll be leaving my husband, three cats and wiener dog in Portland for the election in November, he knows how important the races in Wisconsin are. Cheers to you and DG for bringing the news every day. Look out, Wisconsin. Hurricane Al is coming to town with that blue wave. Love you all. Uh, attached is the cat I will miss the most. George Washington Barter Ginsburg. Bader. <laughs> sorry, George Washington Bader Ginsburg. And my senior wiener, Oscar Beans. And yes, when we listen to the beans in the morning, we sing along with the theme song, Oscar Beans, Oscar Beans. <laughs> Cute. Oh, oh look, look at, at Oscar's Oscar. face. A little powdered sugar nose. Oh my goodness. So cute. Congratulations on that job. That's so fucking cool. And go, yeah, go show them. Wisconsin needs our help. That's awesome. AG, do you want me to take the next two? They're pretty short. Yeah, go for it. All right. This one's from Anonymous Pronouns She and Her. Good news. I went to my 40th high school reunion last night. Had a great time. Had many people whisper, you were right about Trump. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people in my area didn't like my early stance against Trump. Glad I went. And (laughs) you looked amazing. Look at that dress. That's so cool. I That's love the fantastic. Paisleys. I know. 
All right. Thank you. And I'm glad that you had it right the first time. This next one's from Jane, pronounced she and her. Have you heard of MAGA, the good? This MAGA stands for Mothers Against Greg Abbott. Yes, it does. There's also a spinoff group, Men Against Greg Abbott. We're working to like Democratic Slate here in Texas. Yes, I'm familiar. I love that this exists. And I hope you confuse enough people that uh, you can actually get them to start voting on your agenda. Oh, my God, that's so cool. Right below the fold there on the front of the Houston Chronicle. Hell yeah. There it is. Mothers Against Greg Abbott group bringing a new meaning to MAGA. I love it. Thank you so much. And thanks for the hard work you're doing there, Jane. I'll grab the next two. First one from Anonymous. He and him just sending a picture of my Princess Leia while on the cleanup on aisle 45 Zoom hang to thank you for everything you do. Look at the baby. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, that's a cool neighborhood. That reminds me of my little tiny neighborhood in Talmadge, Ohio, like all green and like just the one little asphalt road winding through there. That's beautiful. It is. And then next up from Michelle. And Michelle pronouns she and her. Hello, fellow lumberjack. Ha <laughs> ha. I attended Northern Arizona University from 93 to 96. Maybe we crossed paths. I bet we did, Michelle. My son and I lived in the family housing at the center of campus. That is so cool. I lived at uh, Allen McAllen. Was it Mc? Oh, you know, Allen and then McCann something. I don't know. I was definitely on campus in 93 and 94. So we probably ran into each other, Michelle. Thank you for all you do to bring the news to the masses. I especially love the swears. I listen to your show every morning while getting the chickens and goats up for the day. Dude, that sounds fucking rad. I've also enjoyed the good news items from around the country and thought I'd make my contribution. Pictured here is my Anatolian shepherd, V, out taking care of her charges. I also had a bumper crop of 11 baby goats this year. A few of them are here climbing on one of the mamas. And finally, over the past couple of years, I've learned to knit and just finished a wrap for my daughter-in-law. Thanks again. I'm looking forward to having Dana back with you. Go Lumberjacks. I'm holding in my squeals. Look at these fucking goats. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, first that. of all, <laughs> yes, the dog with the goats adorbs and the goat eating the pine off of the tree. But then there's like all the mama this, goat. It's a bundle of goats. Oh, look at those babies. Oh, the babies are so sweet. Oh, and that throw is beautiful. It sure is. That pattern is, um, um, that's but, intricate. But the goats. Look at the goats. <laughs> I know the goats. That mo- look at the mama goat. Oh my God. Thank you for this. Thank you for this so much, <laughs> Michelle. And it is good to be back. It is good to be back. All right. And to cap off the good news for today, this is from Evan, pronouns he, him. Morning, Leguminati. Forgiveness is on my mind. My father, oh, my father passed last week. After decades of processing my past resentments for his mistakes, I'm glad to say I was present and sincerely able to focus on my love for him and comfort him. It made me wonder, how does a country forgive? Clearly, we must be out of danger to prioritize this, but it will be on us at some point. We'll not get the apologies we're owed. We're unlikely to see the full accountability we want to see. If it took me decades, how long will it take us collectively to reach a point where we can think and act clearly, free of the desire to punish or free of fear. To be clear, I'm not expecting answers, but I do believe that it's useful for us individually to mull it over and to keep it in the back of our minds, just so we become more effective owners of our fragile democracy. Evan, that was beautiful. Wow, what a, that post is incredible. That's it amazing. It really is I'm going to actually, you know what we should do? 
um, Dana is we should forward this to Mary. Absolutely. Because, you know, she writes um, eloquently and fervently about this in her book, The Reckoning. You know, how how do we come to terms with this? Yeah. And then, you know, you and I know uh, quite a few people who came over from the other side and and were shunned, you know, where where you and I have been like, no, 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 we need to we need to make we need to make room for these folks to to come to come back. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there will be there will be a reckoning. And um, if that's something that we should all start thinking about, that's such a good that's such an important piece of writing. Thank you. Thank yes. You Evan, thank you for that. My goodness. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm so sorry. I am so sorry you lost your father, but what you wrote about this and, and being able to, to be there and focus with love and to be present, what a gift, what a gift you gave yourself. And I'm sure uh, whether he was able to acknowledge it or not that you gave your father. So my condolences, my condolences. Yes. Sending hugs and love. Thank you everyone for sending these in. If you have any uh, good news, stories, uh, anything you want to send in to us at all, you can do so at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, Dana, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today? I'm just happy to be back. Um, I'll be here for the next uh, week and a half. And then I've got a big chunk again that I'm gone, but I'm going to soak up the time we have now and just know after that chunk, it'll be uh, much fewer days that I'll be out. So I'm just happy to see you and be back in the ears of the Beans team. And and thanks for hanging in and welcoming me home. Yeah, it's really good to see you, my friend. I you missed too. you and I love you and I'm glad you're back. And uh, I know everyone else is too. And thank you all so much for sticking with me. Pete Strzok came in, by the way, a few days and guest hosted. And, nice. And it was, uh, that was funny. I, he, was, he was already saying motherfucker within like the first three minutes. <laughs> it's always fun when, you know, former FBI uh, officials at super high levels come in and swear on the, on the beans. So. It's fantastic. Thanks, everybody. We will be back tomorrow. I expect the news to be pretty bonkers. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess the intro will be mm, 58 seconds. I think the intro tomorrow will be 58 seconds long. I've been doing this now. I started trying to guess how much news there's going to be tomorrow. I love it. I love it. And until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hey everyone, it's AG from Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans. And Steve Pearson from the How We Win podcast. We're bringing together some of our besties for a live super pod to raise money for the How We Win Fund and elect Democrats in November. Featuring us, of course. The hilarious Frangela duo. Ben and Brett Mazelis from the Midas Touch podcast. And the one and only Kathy Griffin. Join us on Monday, August 22nd at Largo in Los Angeles. Go to HowWeWinLive.com and get your tickets now. That's HowWeWinLive.com.